go to the weather. <laughs> I feel like we're yeah. this, this is like this is like the news. Yeah, on to the weather. <laughs> hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah, <laughs> understanding. My fellow Americans. Probably <laughs> here. As long as you're whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is balance exchange. Hey everybody, welcome back to Balance Exchange. I'm Papa Bear here today with Cronus. And this episode we're gonna talk about the weather. You know, like normal people. People just yeah. talk about <laughs> <laughs> But I think and uh, what I'm thinking is instead of just talking about like, hey, like most people who say they're talking about the weather, they're talking about the weather here, like that we're both experiencing in a conversation, which we are gonna talk about. We're talking about my weather versus your weather. Yeah, it's fascinating. But, uh, <laughs> But like more more or less, since we do talk about government stuff, we're gonna talk about like just weather, um, not just how it exists. I'm not gonna explain like how weather systems exist. I'm not a weatherman, but more about how do we get information about weather? Like how can we understand what the forecast is, or how like anybody can predict or tell us anything about the weather? Right? How do we get that information? Yeah, that's, that's what I was. Uh... It is a very interesting thing because I knew there was actually a, a Marine that I knew that became a weatherman in the Marine Corps. And I was just like, that's very interesting. And he was like yeah. this gigantic black dude, very intimidating looking. And he was like, yeah, I want to be a weatherman. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so. Let me tell you today about the weather. Like yeah. dressing this, I don't know. It would be interesting. Um. Not that, I mean, not that that has anything to do with their ability to actually, you know, interpret the information they're given and, and present well. Like, it's just, you're right. That's not your normal TV show weather person. Although, very large black guy is probably one of the most famous weather people out there, though. He's just not very large anymore. Oh, yeah. You're talking about Al Roker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he, he's lost weight recently. Like, I guess it's been about probably almost 10 years now since he lost his weight originally. Been a while. Then there's also the weatherman from a Family Guy. It's gonna rain. That's my favorite. My favorite weatherman ever was was him. That's a safe prediction. Places. It's not a safe prediction here. Yeah. The opposite. You just say it's not gonna rain. You're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a desert. That's how that works. Yeah. Most people. Uh, most people are confused about the way deserts work too, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Most people yeah, think that deserts it. are always hot, but they're not always hot. They are not. We can talk about that. What's that? Street. Hmm. What's that? What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Hoptocalypse. I think it's the white label one. Yeah, this is white label. And it's a hazy double IPA. It's about 8.4% alcohol. So it's pretty good. <laughs> I used to have one of these uh, in a keg. And it was a more, I think it was the green level one. And it was about 10% alcohol. That's dangerous. In a keg. <laughs> so. That's a pretty strong keg. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of keg Donkey Kong comes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you I, that thing up. Well, I used to have like really strong beers in my kegs, and I have to like yeah. I'd have, I'd have parties. I'm like, listen, if you're gonna drink this, disclaimer: don't drink too many. All right, two, yeah, yeah. It's like one or two, you're good. And it was, it was at the time, you know, it was my jujitsu family mostly hanging out. And it's like, listen, you're in a, a house full of fighters, so don't get fucking drunk and get into a fight. <laughs> so start breaking stuff and everything. Yeah. <laughs> what are you drinking, man? So, still, still hitting the keto, trying to. Um get back in like honestly three like it was a month and then probably like a week or two at least so it, the body takes longer to get back into it um so still gotta hit pretty solid so i'm sticking to the true release 
Uh, these are the punch ones, though. So this I is a tropical punch. I still haven't had the tropical punch. Actually, no, I did. Uh, I think... Yeah. No, no, no. I have not had this one yet. I had so that one earlier today, and then I had a berry one just now. I just finished it, so... The berry? Yeah. yeah these are quite good. pretty good. I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, something you just said pinged on something that I was thinking. <sighs> now I can't fucking remember. You were talking about... Oh, keto. You can cheat, by the way. Well, on keto, if you want to. You can just get BHB. It definitely helps. Beta has Do to rate. Yeah. Um... Or MCT. That that if you want to go a more natural route, MCT. I'm using some MCT oils to help help get it going. I, I'm trying to do it mostly natural. I try not to like force the function. I'm making myself sick as it is. Like every day is just is frustrating digestively right now because of because um, I'm also fasting. So it's like I guarantee it's the fasting that causes it. I fast all day, and then as soon as I eat something, like my stomach just goes crazy. Um, so I forgot a lesson that I'd learned when I was doing this the first time which is like I need to kind of ease the stomach back into the idea of having something in there other than just water. Yeah. And what you do is do a bone broth um, and then like a, a, a water with some electrolytes or something to kind of like get your stomach doing stuff instead of just slamming it with food and making it try to work all of a sudden and it just quivers and doesn't know what to do and starts making you feel really bad. Yeah, yeah. That, that was also one of the things I was going to say about MCT because usually like when I was doing the more natural keto thing, even though I still do, or I used to do, you know, more natural keto, but um, it was taking like a, a like too much MCT oil at the time and like almost shit myself and then making it to the toilet just in time. But that would definitely restart your, your whole system into like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought these um, MCT oil uh, plus coconut like shots for your coffee. Yeah. Uh, but I tried it while also adding like a little bit of sugar-free creamer that I have that I can usually still do while staying fasted. And it was terrible. It was so bad because the two together was like the worst. I was like, okay. And then now I have this like hesitancy to throw that MCT oil in a cup of coffee. because so I'm like, oh man, I'm going to ruin my coffee <laughs> and dump that one out again. Well, the, but I'm going to try it again solo. So. Well, the, the bad thing about, you know, if you're fasting and doing keto is that if you want to have coffee, you usually want to have coffee in the morning, right? But if you want to have MCT oil in your coffee, well, you just broke fast. You can do black, black coffee just fine. But MCT usually has, you know, a significant amount of calories with that come along with it that'll knock you out of fasting. So Yeah, so the one of the strategies, too, can be, though, instead of just straight fasting, if the goal is keto, um, especially if you broke your keto, like ketosis or whatever, is to instead of just straight fasting, is to do fat fasting. So only giving yourself fats to burn right. calories on. So adding MCT oil, adding ghee to your coffee, yeah. all those, having pork rinds at lunch, also fine. So it's like as long as it's just fat. Ghee is a clarified butter for listeners that yeah. don't know anything about any of their shit. So I, any, any other stuff, yeah. I only cook with, with ghee and avocado oil. When yeah. I, when ghee I and avocado oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest. Like that, I think the best one I have right now is the, uh, there's one at Costco that's like an Indian style, which I like. It's a little bit cheaper, um, but my, the partner does does not like, um, yeah. but there's like a earth natural something that's way more expensive. You can find it at like Whole Foods, but it's super good. <laughs> so I always get the there's one at Walmart. It's like Carrington's or something. It's in a square container, and you can get it where it's ghee, but also already has the pink Himalayan salt in it. So yeah. it like is one of the other you know things that you kind of need when you're doing fasting and keto and stuff. So. Yes, you're low on, on minerals and. and 
that's not good. And fiber. You, most people are low on fiber and you know yeah. electrolytes. So what I what I used to do my first run through on keto is I would take uh, MCT oil, uh, some water, and uh, psyllium husk, and like shake that together, and that was like to get you know into ketosis and like stay surviving. But then BHBs became because back when I first started doing keto, BHBs were like they were available, but they were crazy expensive. There was like a hundred plus dollars a tub, and like now I mean, you can get it for like way cheaper. Yeah, I may have to look it up if it's something that's manageable and not too hard. I might do it. We'll see. Yeah, it's not. It's super. I take BHBs almost almost daily still to this day. So yeah. And it just help keep your ketone levels high. Yeah, yeah. It's just exogenous ketones. You know, just kind of tricks your body into um, producing ketones naturally. So nice. Yeah, I have to. Then we'll see. Yeah, I've never had a problem with it. I've been using it for years. Years. Nice. So what are you reading? Uh, I am reading the same book I was reading last time, and it is the Shoulders of the Titans, and it's Arcane Ascension Book Two. I got to be honest with you; I'm just gonna try to make it through this book. It's not terrible, but it's not. I... You're spoiled. Yeah, I am spoiled because you know I just I just read fucking Hellion, you know, like an online Hellion, and it was like it was so good. And then I'm. <laughs> yeah, then I went to this, and I'm just like, ah. And then also, you know, one of the other books that I'm listening to, it just dropped like yesterday. Um, and it's a really good book. It's called, uh, this one's the, the Good Guys, but they also have the Bad Guys series. Um, and I, I want to just, I might just speed up the audio just so I can get to this book faster. So I can get on to the next book. Your book? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, what do you read, man? So yeah, still, um, this will be, the, I'm, I, I think I'm done, almost done with um, Inferno, which is... Final book for the tarot part of the uh, Awaken Online books. So I, I do feel like the way there you meet certain characters in this, that this must have been his intent to be read before reading Frank's um, side quest. Like, I really do wish I had read this before Frank's side quest. Because, um, so, yeah, well, they teach a little bit. Well, it's, it's, it's after... Um... Frank's side quest, though. That's the problem, is that it's when Frank left to go back to um, the Twilight Throne. Mm-hmm. That's when... That's I'm pretty sure, you know, it's been a, been a while since I read the book, but that's when um, Finn went to the Druids. Okay, so gosh, we're going to give away some stuff here, but if you, <laughs> if you haven't read them, skip ahead a couple of minutes, but so, but didn't during the conflict going on in the main storyline after that, or didn't Jason, um, didn't they all together kill the, like, the order dude with the eye? Oh, right now? yes. They, oh, you know what? That is interesting. Because he's in that. Yeah. So I'm like, this needed to be, like, before those events so that you can meet him first in these other books. And then he shows up over there. You're like, oh, this dude's freaking wicked. But that, no, like, that, that does line up, though, because um, when he said, if he's in that book, he yeah. must have sent him right after that because Frank was right. already on his way back. And the reason why I know it should have been when Frank left is because normally you couldn't get to the Druids because of the crazy, like, uh, snowstorm that was around that area. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it didn't exist when Finn went there. They just happened to find the, the group with, uh, what's her name? Silver. That. Silver, yeah, with Silver's group. Uh, at that point, too, because up until then, Silver and her patrol, her pack, had been like sacrificing mages to the demon. 
So they probably would have taken them. Oh yeah, we'll take you over this way, and here's your here's your here's your mages, there, demon guy. But it's usually only when they when they uh, encroach upon the territory, and there should have been way more snow and ice. Yeah, there should have been ice blocking the pass. So that's why I thought it was supposed to be right when Frank left. But I could be wrong. I have to go back and read it. Going outside of that area, though. But. Yeah, I didn't get the feeling that they were gonna that they would normally went outside the area. I felt like they only took people that encroached upon their area. That's that's. But I, you read it you know, way more frequently than I have. Which they think recently, not yeah, necessarily recently. frequently. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I still think they could have been perceived as encroaching on the area, which would have made that an option, and she didn't do that. So I guess there's still an argument too for maybe this is after shutting down the demon. Is it, I don't know. I'll have to figure out. I, I think I kind of want to put together a, a like appropriate reading order if there isn't one already, which I'm sure there is. You should join the but, there, of you too. There's a Facebook group for Awaken Online. You should join it and then like ask the question. Yeah. Because I mean, and uh, Travis. Uh, ah, Blue right. What's his last name? Someone this is. Be- Travis. Baltry. No. Uh, Bagwell. Bagwell, there we go. Travis Bagwell, he's uh, he's part of the group. So if he asked the question, he, he might answer you directly. Like, I, I tweeted at him, and he responded. So Nice. And he seems like a really down-to-earth author. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he seems like a good dude. Him and there's a couple other authors, too, that are, like, easily accessible, like Will White and um, Chris Fox. There's a couple other ones that are, like, accessible. So. Nice. Anyway. Now that we know so here I guess we'll throw in disclaimer? Yes. Yeah, go here. So at this point in watching our videos, you may or may not know that I am an active duty United States Marine, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, so I know that um, it's really important for me to make sure to get this out there. If it's your first time watching this, please stick around and make sure you understand the disclaimer. If you've watched a whole lot of our episodes so far, feel free to go ahead and jump ahead to the new content. Um, so what I need to talk about today is that I am not authorized and have no way of being approved to speak on behalf of the Marine Corps. So any opinion that I give or any concept that I discuss today is the position and the opinion of just me, myself, just a man who has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in leadership and organizational management and has spent my whole life looking at government structures and social contracts and how these things are supposed to work, what the philosophies and things behind them are, and read a lot of books on that kind of stuff. And it's definitely one of my personal and key passions. And so when you hear me maybe give a position or a concept on something, that is only my own position. I am not a public affairs officer for the Marine Corps. I am in no way giving what the Marine Corps' official position on anything would be. And honestly, a lot of the topics we're going to cover here, I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps doesn't have a particular position on. Um, so if you do have any questions about what the Marine Corps' policy on certain things could be, you can definitely research that and find those out um, or leave a comment or send us a message. Uh, if you can get a hold of us somehow, we can maybe be able to answer those questions for you. So, with that said, let's get you back to this week's content. And we're back. <laughs> Indeed. It's so nice to be able to do that. Although, if things go a certain way, I won't need that too much longer. Well, I mean, eventually you're not going to need it, you know. That's something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, for me, a big part of... Actually, before we go to the, like global weather thing we started talking about weather <laughs> today <laughs> inadvertently and it actually was tied to those books too so like i was taking a picture 
when I got into my truck to leave work to send to my wife because it was 124 degrees in 29 Palms. And I'm getting, I'm like, God, it's hot. And I got in and looked, I was like, oh, it's really hot. So I go take a picture. It dropped down to 123 degrees while I was taking the picture. <laughs> oh. you know, a little bit higher, but still 123 is pretty good. So I take the picture of it and sent it to her. And then, uh, but I happen to have my audiobook stuff up, which is Inferno. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's the perfect book for that temperature, too. I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. the point. But yeah, it's so hot. You know, What's crazy, and she was talking about this afterwards, something that, you know, you and maybe others may or may not know is like, it's just crazy how much the difference is. I just drive 40 minutes from work to here, to my house, 123 degrees there. And by the time I got home 45 minutes later, not because it got darker and was late at night or something crazy. And it was only like 90 degrees. So just a small change yeah. from, from that part of this desert Valley to here was a 30 degree change in temperature. Yeah. And that's significant, especially when like you're feeling it in the same day within, a, within an hour, you're just like, yeah. Not so bad anymore, you know. And those first that first week coming back from this vacation I was on, I rode my motorcycle every day that week. In the and it's been this temperature for a while. I'm like, no. After a week, I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm gonna get <laughs> yeah. taking the truck. Sorry, I don't like driving it any more than I have to. But right now, I have to. <laughs> yeah, it's especially, too hot. Especially, I mean, hopefully you can shower when you get to work. Obviously you can. I know you can. But it's like you're gonna sweat. You're gonna be funky. You well, know. the mornings were love like nice, really oh, yeah, nice. It's yeah. your temperatures in the mornings, right now, which is really warm for morning time. Um, so yeah, going in and it's like seventy or so is nice. It's not a big deal, but yeah, in the afternoons it's one hundred and twenty-seven degrees. And I go, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm so cool when I get home. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. It's like you want to get one of those vests where you could just toss in the. Uh, they have ice vests so you can just toss in yeah. the freezer and just then just wear it. But eventually it's gonna you know wear out and you're gonna be hot. <laughs> so and carrying a heavy ice vest. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, you know, I, I, obviously I used to ride a lot more than I do now. Um, and we talked about it before, but I used to go to the to, to the desert and I used to love when it was hot because and I, I used to wear full leathers. I didn't give a shit how hot it was. I wore full leathers when I was gonna go on like a serious ride because I rode like a not a maniac. But I can go around corners really fast. Yeah, so, really pro. Yeah, so uh, I would be all leathered up, and I would go out to the desert. It'd be like way over 100 degrees, but I loved it because my tires would get warmer faster. It would be super sticky. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I get it. Like it's it sucks. Like if you're not if you're if there's somebody in front of you, you're going slow or whatever. It's like it's it's brutal, and people don't yeah. they don't get it. <laughs> well, and for a commute, you're talking about your tires getting more sticky for you to be able to do fun ride stuff. If I'm doing this for a commute, that just means it's wearing my tires down that much faster. Yeah. Yep. Every mile I run takes that much more off my treads. I gotta buy more tires. I'm like, oh. So, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, there was. But, go ahead. Good. Oh, I was no, gonna no, say no. there was times yes. where, like, in the summer, where I would go through a set of tires in 2,000 miles. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was so, it was so warm, like literally, like the the rubber would just ball up on the edges of my tires and. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll need tires. At, like as I start riding again, coming into the end of the summer or whatever, I'm gonna need to get new tires. Yeah, it's a good problem. To have. I, I just bought this motorcycle like at the beginning of the year. I think in February. I think I bought it in February. It was still cold enough in February that like I literally bought this motorcycle and then was like, I'm not gonna ride every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the different thing here too. Deserts are like extremes. That's pretty yeah. much what the 
you always know that you're dealing with very, very serious extremes when it comes to most deserts. So wintertime, especially here in Yucca, it'll snow because we're close to the mountains. We still get like the, the, the flowovers from the mountains. Um, but even without the snow, once I head further towards front of pumps, it is freaking cold. It's, it's below freezing most days uh, early in the mornings and late at night. And I don't care how many layers you have, unless you have like heated layers and stuff, it yeah. is cold. Yeah, a game changer for me, like, years back, I, I took my, my S1000RR in for maintenance, and they gave me, like, the, usually they don't do this, when they give you a loaner bike, they give you, like, a shitty bike, but they gave me, like, the, the latest version, and it had heated grips, and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing, this is amazing, it's a game changer. <laughs> yeah. I, it's so, so, I was looking towards doing that with my very first motorcycle I, like, purchased for myself as an adult, um, which unfortunately there was like a big, a pretty decent gap in my riding. Um, so as an adult coming back from Afghanistan, I was like, I'm, I'm getting a motorcycle because I rode dirt bikes as a kid up until I was pretty much a teenager and like started driving cars and then just stopped riding. Right. Cause I could now actually go places and do things. I didn't just get to ride in the dirt. Um, and so I kind of like just stopped with motorcycles, which is really weird. As much as fun as I had on them as a kid and as much as I love them now, like I don't understand how that happened to me. You know, it's weird how your brain works sometimes and how life happens. Yeah. Um, but then in Afghanistan, um, we, I went to one meeting and they're like, Hey, does anybody have motorcycle experience? I was like, yeah, I rode dirt bikes like my whole life as a kid. They're like, come here. You know, they called staff sergeant. I was like, okay. Went over there. They're like, Hey, we're going to run you through this like BRC course here in Afghanistan with these dirt bikes sitting right over there. Right. They're like, we're going to run you guys through with, uh, with, with the mass aren't who, who's like an instructor. And then we're going to have all of you train the Afghans to ride these motorcycles. <laughs> I'm like, so cool. okay, yeah. I get to, like, literally that's what you want me to do. <laughs> it's just ride motorcycles for the next couple of weeks. Basically in Afghanistan. Yeah. I was like, yeah. So it was kind of cool. So I did that and I was like, I am, how did I stop doing this? Then, then it's sparked back up. Right. I was like, how did I let myself go? Basically probably about 10 years at that point, more than 10 years, probably about 15 years at that point. To, without riding motorcycles how did i do that and so I was like, i'm getting a bike when i go back and for, because it's what i was riding i was like i'm gonna get basically what i have now something that can go off-road on-road whatever and i ended up getting a big cruiser oh yeah <laughs> i loved it i loved it but i mean yeah i'll get a cruiser probably when i'm like way older but right <laughs> now like my i'm in pretty i'm, I'm in good especially for being for, fucking 41 i'm in good shape so my back isn't bothering me. I don't have fucking a lot of joint pain. Like every now and again when I get up, I, I feel like the age, which is like, ah, but then I'm okay. You know? Nah, by then you're going to get a trike. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, You'll get the spider or the Can-Am with the front wheels. No, nah, I'm not. I'm not. If, if, if I can't ride two wheels, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm done riding. But literally like right outside of like the, like the building I'm in right now, my S1000R sitting right in front because yeah. I had to like pack all my oldest kids stuff up and we put it in the garage. Then we just put it in a, in a thing to get picked up. I haven't, I haven't yeah. put the motorcycles back in yet, but I have two motorcycles. I just, you know, I haven't, I haven't ridden either one of them in over a year. And it's just like, I would never would imagine like, especially when I first started riding, I put 30,000 miles on my VFR in a year. That's and crazy. Yeah. That's that's a lot of miles, and now just like I'm not riding anymore. Like, I, I'm probably waiting for my youngest to get a little bit older so we can ride together. Yeah, because I, I I really do love riding. I, I miss it. Yeah, it's it's different. Like those who don't ride and are scared for people to ride don't understand. Like one, yeah, there are risks, but yeah, there's something about it 
that unless you in like ride and really feel it, you don't understand. And usually if you have any kind of uh, independent streak, any kind of personal connection, especially a personal connection to nature, like if you like going out and going camping, you would probably also like riding motorcycles. Like yeah. if you're that person who wants to sit and watch a lake, just sit there and enjoy nature. You're going to, you would dig motorcycles. Yeah. That freedom that you get is just like, yeah. man, it's hard to explain mm-hmm. to somebody that, that's never rode. And especially when people yeah. like have never rode, like if you're not good at, like once you get good at riding, you get real comfortable. Cause when you first start riding, like you're super sketch. You're just like, you feel very exposed to everything like somebody's gonna fucking hit me and kill me, blah blah blah. But then, like once you get used to it, you get like a sixth sense. It's like it's a Zen moment. It's it's the reason yeah. why you don't see, um, like motorcycles in front of a therapist's office. Even though I, I broke that rule once, for me because I was seeing a therapist and I was like, I'm happy. I'm just gonna ride my bike to the therapist. But usually, people that ride the motorcycles they forget about the problems. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that stress you feel like when you first start riding was the exact same stressful feeling I felt driving that rv the first couple days oh yeah (laughs) it's that it's just like i have no idea if anything crazy is going to happen with this thing i'm not comfortable driving this vehicle i don't know what you know all of the things about it and then it's that just so stressful but then as you get comfortable with it you get so much better like i can go drive our rv right now no problem i just spent 30 days driving it every day almost (laughs) yeah that's a lot man it was stressful the driving through uh baton rouge Mm-hmm. was the most stressful moments of my entire life. <laughs> and I went to combat in Afghanistan. So, you know, you've got, you've deployed to, I guarantee more like heart rate higher, like more scared that something bad is going to happen than I, I was at any point. <laughs> I was getting shot at in a, in a, a, a 53, a CH 53 yeah. rounds with the outside dude shooting back with 50 cal. Not as stressful. Like this helicopter might crash. Nope. There's, there's 15 other people who are also working on the same problem. That truck, me, yeah. and 6,000 pounds worth of with RV, all me. I'm like, oh, no. And these streets are, like, tiny. It, the, the directions routed us into, like, the town oh, of Baton no. Rouge. Yeah. And, like, through trees. and like, there's little cars everywhere. I'm like, oh, my God. Why yeah. are we going? We had to do that for about three miles and then get back on the interstate because there's a huge accident. Like, just go around. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to truck. And I <laughs> So scary. I was, and I'm scared. Like, I'm getting nervous thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like people don't think about, like, when you have to, like, make turns, especially a right-hand turn. You know, you're just thinking about, like, you could just, just demolish somebody, you know, yeah. like an accident. You know, and you, and you, you won't see them. Yeah, like, it, people don't know. They don't know to, like, hey, there's a big thing. Move move a little or, or let me stay back a little. And people creep up. And you're like, what are you doing? Move out of the way. <laughs> Well, you know what's crazy is that there's like the, the technology. We're like we're so close to getting uh, a much better system with like trailers. So I know Ford and probably Dodge and other, you know, I, well I guess it's Ram. They spun off the brand, but other truck manufacturers. I've already started doing this where you can put in like the length of your trailer so you know like where everything is gonna go and all that shit. But what they need to do is integrate like cameras into the trailer that you have. So you can yeah. easily like click it on and be like, hey, I need to see like a top down view of everything that's around me. But as far as I know, that doesn't exist right now for trailers. So I have one camera on the very back end um, to be able to give me enough view to see, like, what's going on if I'm backing up. Yeah. Um, but I see it all the time. Like, it's a camera that I've mounted myself, and it transmits to it. And I was thinking the same thing. Like, it'd probably be a good idea to put some other ones up there because I can switch between channels on it. So if I wanted to, at least, like, the right side, 
because I can kind of see better down the left, right? Because I'm on the driver's side. Mm -hmm. But down the right side, it's kind of hard to see sometimes. But putting a camera over there would allow me to like, hey, switch channel two. Okay, I feel safe. I can switch lanes. Things move way slower when you're throwing that large of a trailer, by the way. Like if you're driving, most people are like, zip, zip, change lanes. I'm like, nope, I'm going to I'm going to check and everything is good. You change lanes. <laughs> you do all that stuff slow. <laughs> yeah. Well, like for, so I have a older, I have an Infiniti FX 50 S. It's from like 2009. Super old mm. car. Well, sort of. But it has like a top down view of everything. So when I, when I back up or even when I press the, just the camera button to go forward, it gives me a top down view plus the forward thing. And if I want to on the right or the back, so I can mm. see fucking everything. And so they, they need to, like, come up with a system where you can see that with your trailer. And it also tells yeah. me, like, where I'm going to – if I'm backing up, it tells me – it shows me where I'm going to go. Yep. So they need to have the same thing with, like, calculating – like, you put in, like, the actual length of your trailer, and then you put cameras in certain places on the trailer, and then once you start backing up and moving, and it when you show. turn the wheel, it'll know, like, okay, this is where your trailer is going to go. Yeah. But it's not there. There is um, trailer steering stuff now, which is really nice. Yeah. So I I've, I got pretty good with that trailer steering on the, the, the Ram mm-hmm. setup. Ram and Ford's back up, like the trailer steering stuff's a little bit different. Um, so the Ram one, though, it's pretty good. So instead of needing to try to, like, it's, it's counterintuitive to use the steering wheel because you you always have to kind of go the opposite way. Oh, you have the controller? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so on the controls, if you're looking at the camera and working the controls – it goes the way you just kind of intuitively would expect it to do looking at the camera. So you're like, okay, I'm looking here. I want my trailer to go that way. I turn it that way and you start letting off the gas a little, you just let off the brake or whatever. And if you need to give it a little more gas and it'll, it'll start moving your steering wheel to put it where it needs to be to go how much you're wanting it to go in that little dial. Super nice. But the number one thing is if you want it to go straight, like I just want the trailer to back up now you just let go and like give it a gas and it straightens the wheels out and keeps you like perfectly straight so you can back up straight, which is super hard. Nice. If you've yeah. heard, <laughs> straight is kind of hard. So that one little widget, like money maker right there. Yeah. Technology, man. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's getting crazy. Like I, I, uh, <clears throat> my, my girlfriend, she needed to get a new car and I, I wanted to get like a infinity, uh, not an infinity. I wanted the car that I have, I wanted to get for a long time, but I was also looking, I was also looking at getting a Volvo an XC 90. They're excellent. SUVs, right? Yeah. And so we, I was, drove, we drove one uh, for one of our vacations. It's they're amazing. Yeah, we love. Nice. Yeah, I I did a bunch of research on them. I was like, this is amazing. But when they first dropped, like the new ones, probably the one you drove, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. like they were crazy expensive. So I was like, no, nah, I'm a used car guy. I'm not a I'm not a new car guy. Um, and so when my girlfriend was like, I need another car. I'm like, okay, you should look at like a Volvo, like an XC90, or maybe a, a V90 or V60 or. Yeah. And then she was like, she looked at him. She's like, well, those are kind of expensive. She looked at the XC60 and she bought it. Oh my god, yeah. it's fucking amazing! <laughs> I love it. I think we drove the 60, not the 90. The 60 and three of the 90. Yeah, I loved it. It was in 2019. That's what <laughs> it was really nice. Like, and we we honestly haven't found like that set of features and how well set up it is in anything since then. Even when I picked up my um, Genesis that I had and I got all those features and it had a heads up display, which it didn't have super cool feature, but the XC60 was set up like that and really, really nice. Again, that was three years after the car that I got was made, but uh, we still super love, really, really love those. We, we thought about getting one when we were trying to figure out Cindy's SUV. So Yeah, I've been, I was very surprised. Like when I first started looking up cars and I was like, Volvo's are cool. 
I was like, yeah. what? Like their infotainment system blew me away. Blew me away. Yeah. I was like, like the Android Auto like setup, and uh, if you have Apple CarPlay or whatever, like it, it's so easy to integrate your your phone into like the infotainment system, and it's like it's it's normal. You yeah, know? that's what's normal now. But like they in nineteen had that stuff, and not everybody did. Yeah, and now people are. I think it's what BMW and Mercedes have come up since Volvo came up with like their infotainment system, and they probably sur- they surpassed them by a little bit, but they're still excellent cars, you know. So we did a part of that trip in 2019 in in Washington visiting some of my family, and then we flew down towards Cindy's family in Alabama and took Logan to go to the University of uh, West Florida where he's going to now. That was the school he chose, and then we went to the University of Alabama, and. I can't remember which place had which car, uh, but we tra- we drove the Jaguar SUV mm. and we drove the Volvo SUV. And hands down, hands down, the Volvo was way better than that Jaguar SUV was. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why is this Volvo better than the Jaguar we drove? Like, and This is crazy. What's crazy is that, I don't know if you knew this when you drove the car, but they're all four-cylinders. Like the Volvos, <laughs> all of them are four-cylinders. Four-cylinders. They're four-cylinders turbocharged, and if you want to like get the... The next one up, it's so it's turbocharged and then supercharged, which is fucking crazy. And the next one up is turbocharged, supercharged, and a hybrid. So if you get like the XC90, like the T8 edition, it's got like four mm. fucking horsepower from a four banger. <laughs> because obviously I was trying to get us into like a hybrid when we started or something. I think we looked at the T8 versions and then obviously the price kind of crushed it. I was like, yeah, God, they're expensive. <laughs> but. That would have been super cool. Yeah, to have those. Videos. Yeah, I was, and and now they're gonna go totally electric. So, we'll nice. we'll bring it back to sort of like the, you know, the weather because, you know, obviously we do have. Yeah, we had to come back to you know the weather. <laughs> obviously, if we, if we use less gas, it might help the environment. <laughs> it might help the weather, but um, so yeah, our, we have extremes uh, of weather right now in California. So where where you live, you already said it was. Um, well, I guess we go to work, not where you live. Right. It was, you know, uh, 124 degrees. But for me right now, I live in Hayward, California, which is probably like 400 miles away, a little more than that. Mm-hmm. And it's been in the 70s for the past couple of weeks. And if you look at, like, the the weather, like, around the United States, I don't know how the fuck we're missing this heat wave. Because if we go north of us, it's in the hundreds. You go south of us, it's in the hundreds. But for us, mm-hmm. right now, it's like... It's in the seventies. Like it's beautiful. <laughs> so, looking at um, a website for an organization that we are going to talk probably extensively about. Um, no. It's uh, yeah. It's <laughs> on record. That June of twenty June twenty twenty one is the fifth warmest June on record ever. Right, fifth highest fifth in recorded highest history. In, yeah, in in recorded history for the globe. So. Honestly, like when we talk about, because we were talking about environments, and I know that we're going to talk about a little bit about global warming and the potential for like um, how our impact on that matters, right? But like we say it like it's huge, but also like fifth hottest doesn't sound like that big of a deal. It it doesn't, but if you look at like the subsequent years, like last year was pretty hot too, and the year before that was pretty hot too. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if it's like this is the fifth, and the one before is now the sixth, and the one before that is now the seventh, like, yeah. okay, we're changing. And there was probably some super crazy extreme at some point in recorded history, but, like, uh, it, yeah, it's it's tough. Well, well, and, and then, 
it's saying here, sorry. So, and then it says also the first six months of this year. So everything, right. That's talking about June. So the first six months of the year are still among the top 10 warmest, all of them, all six months, yeah. top 10 warm years ever. So that's not insignificant to mention. Yeah. No, so every time I think about, you know, climate change, and the temperature on, on the, on the planet, I have like a more even headed view than most people probably realize. Cause like most people think that I'm like some crazy, I'm not crazy liberal, but they think I'm like way on the left, which I'm definitely fucking not. I have some left leaning views. Um, but when it comes to like climate change, I think that there is some validity into saying that, well, the climate's constantly changing. And to me, it's very obvious. Like, listen, if, if we literally had a planet full of dinosaurs, that were all cold, cold blooded and that thrive for, you know, millions of years, the temperature of the of the of the earth would have been hotter back then and so in my my mind things are going to are we getting back to the way that the temperatures that it used to be and i don't think that's a ridiculous question to ask like where is the actual like equilibrium for earth is it supposed to be a more hotter climate or a cooler climate because if you want to think about that like i would rather have um if you think about the potential for immediate disaster i would much rather have hotter temperatures incrementally coming up than uh like a, a serious ice age happening because an ice age will destroy way more in a more immediate time frame than things getting warmer over time yeah so what history shows is that whatever happens it will swing back right um because it's always working in a constant state of flux to end up at a pseudo state of balance over a long enough period of time, right? So the last, so we, did you know, right, that we are currently in an ice age? Are we really? Yes. So we still currently technically exist. Oh, we're at the end, yeah, yeah. In ice age yeah. on our way, we're at the interglacial period, right? So we're moving towards the hottest periods in the normal cycle of things. Now, what is different, and I totally agree that we are having an impact, is the, the rate, right? So the rate of change. Yeah. Uh, if, if you look at the historical rate of change, um, there's this like flow between ice ages and, and warm periods. Because there's not like a cool term for that. Like ice age just sounds awesome. But like <laughs> warm periods, I don't know. Anyways. So in those highest peaks of like hot stages for the earth, there are no polar caps. Like it's a lot more water. Everything is, is free of it. And then, and then it swings back from the hot towards cooling again because the world like tries to balance itself back out. Um, so there were theories not too long ago too, that the idea was we'd reached that equilibrium, right? Like, Oh, cool. There's some ice and some warm and we're good, but it's still a little premature to be honest. Like we don't ever live long enough and to, to really see that change on the scale that we're talking about. We're like, we're talking about 11,000 years worth of time since when, like most the basically the polar caps kind of when all the extra ice age stuff went away and we're at just polar caps. But that doesn't mean that we're not just still moving towards like the normal warm yeah. cycles. Uh, it's just that the rate of change, I, I'm going to try to find a link for a video that breaks this down like super cool. I watched it uh, a couple, I've watched it several times because I always try to remind myself that you can have both. Right. And it's kind of the way we do stuff on here too. It's, Neither position on this makes any fucking sense if you're trying to go too extreme on it. Like, we are causing the planet to die. It's the only reason it's getting hotter. 
Well, it's supposed to be hotter right now. That's that's just how things are. I'll give one caveat when because yeah. when people say that you know we're causing the Earth to die, I disagree with that statement wholly because the Earth will be fine. If all of us died, the Earth would be fine. Yeah, it'd be totally fine. Um, I might be better off <laughs> to be honest with you. Like we're, but I think this, this is a distinction: is that when we say that like the we're killing the Earth, it's like no, the actual thing is that we're probably killing ourselves faster. And not the Earth, because the Earth, no matter what, will continue to evolve. They'll they'll yeah. create some some new creature will you know mutate and, and be fine. Like when uh, when there was all this hubbub about you know the polar bears you know possibly going extinct, and then now there's stories about you know polar bears and uh, other brown bears like mating now. Now you have like this weird uh, brown bear and polar bear hybrid. I'm like that makes sense. That's the way yeah. it's supposed to work. But so, yes. You know, when people talk about all these species that are dying off, it's like there's also other species that are being created. Like, why is nobody tracking the, the species that are being created? Because there's, there's millions of them, or probably yep. thousands of them, that are getting created every day, but we don't track them. We just want to track the ones that are dying off. But if you look at throughout all of, like, the Earth's history, there's been trillions, if, if not even more than trillions, of species that have died on this Earth that nobody gave a fuck about. Just the fact that it's happening during our lifetime, we, we people, human beings like to feel like they're like we're the most special thing on this earth, and that you know, when, as we observe things, that's when it's important. But it's like that's not how it works. No. <laughs> we are, we are the most important thing um, for us. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but you're not wrong with the the misconception that only what we see and what we know and what we've recorded is what is important. Um. But there, there are groups that are constantly documenting new species. Um, and, and what I guarantee is that every day, probably, a species dies off that we never even knew about. Yeah. And then a new species is created that we never will know about, right? Yep. Um, what I think is kind of fun is to think about this, right? So um, are you interested? Ooh, I'm going to do this cool transition. Are you interested in space stuff at all, right? So like rock and rock, rocket launches, SpaceX. Like satellites and stuff like that, right? The Richard Branson thing where he didn't really go into space, but yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> they, say they, they say that he did, but none of us got to see. Right? Well, the, the problem is, <laughs> I mean, he didn't really, he didn't even break, um, he didn't break the actual, you know, Upper gravity parts of, the of Earth. Like he just he spun around it. And don't get me wrong, I, I still consider, you know, like the people that are on the space station to be in space because they're they're orbiting right but he, i don't think that branson like broke orbit because he mm. was still fighting earth's gravity the people that are on space station they're not they're constantly falling around the earth right so they're in they're definitely in space because they're they're never going to land unless something happens to that space station but yeah. branson like we like when he went up into space or into a quote-unquote space he went up in whatever ionosphere or wherever he went he was still under the influence of Earth's gravity, where he could not, where he did not break Earth's gravity. So, and there's a bunch of other things. Like I think um, Neil deGrasse Tyson broke it down better than me because obviously he's a fucking astrophysicist. I'm just some dumbass. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, he didn't go into space. Like he got on the edge of space, but he's not actually in space. Even by what they say that they did, which none of us actually got to see because they lost the video feed as soon as it got certain how to. Um, but so we'll accept that there's this theory, right, to go to be able to establish colonies on Mars. So long-term, how does that work out for us? How do we make that something we can do long-term? 
have you heard anything about it? Or did you ever read those books I talked about? The I red, the, green, I read the first one. Blue? I read the first one. Okay. I need to re- read the rest. But I also so, talk about this. But I have another thing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's the like? What's one of the big things they say that they need to be able to do to make it so that Mars can be some place that we can really live? Well, you have to terraform it. You need water. You need oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> they want to terraform it. They're gonna like change the normal atmospheres of the planet. I know you're. It's like the people who accept that that's possible are like, oh, we're not messing with the planet. Like, if we could go to another planet and change it, then we're potentially impacting and changing the planet we live on. Like, we need to be aware that that's totally scientifically a possibility. And it's the other side of that, too, though, is that if if, if it's in the realm of possibility that we can terraform an entire planet, why can't we just do that here? Yeah, we could. Like, well, obviously we're doing it now, but nobody wants to recognize it. Like, we've definitely terraformed Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... If you're saying that we're in such a danger of destroying the Earth for human means that we need to go to another planet to terraform that, like, why wouldn't you just use those same technologies to fix Earth? There's an easy answer. <laughs> so getting 300 or 400 scientists to agree to a plan to terraform a planet is a whole lot easier than getting 7 billion people to agree to work on anything. But you don't need them to agree. Like, there's been so many times where You do, though. You would need to... You have to control this gas that you're emitting. You have to control, like, we would need people to actually be responsible and only discharge what they're supposed to discharge into the atmosphere, or it won't change the way we want it to change, right? But that doesn't, happen. That doesn't happen today for all no. for every person. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's impossible because it's not just a handful of us saying, these are the things we would need to do to accomplish the goals. Yeah, Everybody agree, sure. let's move forward, right? Yeah. But in order to accomplish those goals, we would need to get everybody to agree to those, and there's no way we're going to do that. Now. It's not possible. Yeah. No, it's it, – well, because people are they're, – they're stupid. It, ignorant? Yeah. Yeah. I'll say ignorant because most people just don't know what they don't know and aren't willing to find out. Yeah. Well, Although I, where... I don't think I want to call somebody stupid because I just did the other day plenty of times. Yeah. yeah but I, I get it, though, because people we're, – we're stuck into these cycles of, of... – yeah of life to where you don't, some people, they literally don't have the time to look all this shit up. You know, like I didn't know that Venus is likely a better candidate to terraform than Mars. I had no idea yeah. until the other day. It's hotter. It's hotter. Um, but it already the, has an atmosphere. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. No, no, it does. It has an atmosphere. It's just a fucked up atmosphere. Oh, I thought, <laughs> I thought you said atmosphere. I was like, yeah, it doesn't yeah, have, no. it's, it's, would instantly kill us right now, but yes, but so would Mars. <laughs> yeah, if you just it, the, the issue with Mars is that it has like too little of everything that we need, um, whereas like Venus, it's like it's too much. <laughs> yeah, it's like we're in the sweet spot thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, the issue we have with Venus would be that people theorize that there is solid, right? But that most of it is gas, and it's so dense, yeah. the gas that fixing that would be so hard where you like go like take little scoops and bring it back take little scoops. well <laughs> yeah so there's a i watched a video on a you ever watch kurtzagat you ever heard of that channel uh maybe uh it's a you it's said. a channel on youtube it's called kurtzagat yeah. i can't fucking spell it for you because i think it's in german but they speak in english like on the whole thing and they were With talking yeah but they were talking about um it was an english accent which is very weird it's not a german accent anyway um, they were talking about what it'd be like to terraform Venus. And yeah, obviously you have to get rid of the super dense atmosphere. And they had like all these 
ideas and like how to like capture all the carbon that's there and like remove it in like various different forms. It's like wow, like a lot of it had to do with like, um, what do you call it? It was just basically you had to use like materials from other planets and asteroids to come through and like collect all of this carbon. And basically, they said you could, you could basically terraform it within like 180 years, maybe 200 years, and you could that's terraform. Pretty fun. Yeah, but not anybody's single lifetime. But it could be done. And like they broke it down like exactly how it could be done and like what it what it could look like. But in, in spatial terms, hundred and eighty years is pretty damn fast. Yeah, yeah. Very fast. Yeah. Um where, where if you look at, you know, Mars, it, there's similar issues. Like so Mars has basically no very little atmosphere. And it's all carbon or carbon dioxide. Yeah, and but you'd have to like build up the atmosphere. But the problem with you know, it's the exact opposite problem of Venus, because Venus has too much of an atmosphere. <laughs> Mars doesn't have enough, so we have to build up the atmosphere on Mars versus, you know. But it's easier for us to obviously go to Mars because you can build a you can build a habitat and live on Mars. Yeah. In Venus, you can't like once you get to Venus, like you ain't you're not gonna escape. Like it's a wrap. You can't, yeah, there's that's it. <laughs> like you, you'll land and you're gonna die there. I'm wondering, so you talked about, like, because it'd be, like, trajectories and pulling stuff in to, like, knock parts of the atmosphere out. wonder if we could take the atmosphere to Mars. That was actually one of the things they were saying. Like, <laughs> you can, is like, nice. using, um, I forget the, the actual elements, but there's certain elements that can collect carbon and the other elements that are on um, Venus that makes it, that makes it uh, inhospitable. And then, like, just using that to, like, spit it out to somewhere else. But the best idea was to basically... The best idea, that I, in my opinion, was taking a whole bunch of, like, space mirrors and, like, setting it in, like, cone-shaped to, like, block the sun and then it would, like, freeze part of Venus and then you could just extract it all. You could, It would freeze that part of the, parts of the atmosphere. Then you can extract hmm. the atmosphere in, like, blocks and just, like, shoot it out wherever the fuck you want. Or you could put another shield on the other side because um, the the days on Venus are, like, way longer than Earth. So if we wanted to live there, like you can't really live there because it'd be way too hot on one side and way too cold on the other. But you have to have like two space mirror arrays to like simulate a day on Earth because it's so slow. <laughs> nice. So the atmosphere on Venus is mostly carbon dioxide, um, but it does have clouds uh, made out of sulfuric acid. Yeah, and it's like getting rid. Of, they went into like super detail on like how to get rid of all of that, and it was it's amazing. Yeah. So, like, I remember reading something. It may or may not have been in those that series of books where they talked about there's basically, like, that sweet spot because the day is so slow and it gets so much sunlight on one side and it's so cold on the other where they had made uh, a train track around the equator of Venus that could um, withstand the heat side and the cold side and the, the city that was on it just had to stay in that sweet spot and, like, move along the tracks as the Earth – as their – Venus rotated to like constantly stay not too hot, not too cold. Is that Snowpiercer like, yeah. or is that a different book? What's that? Snowpiercer? Uh, maybe. Because I, I, I haven't watched the movies or read the books, but that's basically what I think Snowpiercer was about. It was like having this train like in like the, the good zone and had a constant yeah. move. I feel like it was in something else. I can't remember what it was. It was like a whole other series that there was like there was a, a part of the book that was that exploration. I can't remember what it was. That's some scary ass shit. If you think about it. But super fusion. Anyways. Yeah. Uh so weather. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
We talked about clouds for a second there. We did. I mean, they're, they're canceled, well, we're, I mean, we're, on other planets, we're talking about like their actual, you know, weather. The atmosphere, yeah, and that's what makes up your weather. So, I guess as far as tying it, not just being nerds and trying to talk about science stuff, but like, it, it's interesting to me to think about how, uh, as a libertarian, right, we want as little government as humanly possible, but how accepting would any of us be if we said like, ah, those weather forecasts you're used to getting, yeah, you're not getting any of that stuff anymore. <laughs> Someone just needs to look outside at the clouds and like, um, you know, predict it based on, you know, the almanac of history of like what I expect the weather to be kind of like on this day and then what the clouds look like right now outside because I went outside. As you've seen those weather rocks, it's like the rock's got a painting on it and it says, if I'm wet, it's raining. Yeah. And that's the weather. <laughs> right like, to go to that level of weather prediction compared to what we have today because all of that stuff is government like all of it there's no privately funded weather satellites makes sense yeah so so like uh we talked about it started introducing it so the the primary organization for knowing and managing all that at least in the united states is the um the national organization for atmospherics and I'm screwing it up. I know it's National Oceanic and Atmospheric. And I was like, as soon as I said, it, I was like, that's not right. <laughs> National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, they are the ones who pretty much feed out all of the feeds, like raw feeds for um, weather satellites to other organizations and conduct all these studies. They send radar feeds. All this stuff you see, like when you're looking at your normal local news and you see weather Doppler radars and all these other things, those are feeds that are provided to everybody yeah. completely free of charge uh, from NOAA. Um, uh, there's a NOAA headquarters in Hawaii. Is it in Hawaii? It, it is on Pearl Harbor. Like it's, it's okay. on Fort Island. It's on Fort Island and has one of the coolest displays I've ever seen, like in any museum or any like place you can visit and go see cool shit. Right. Um, it's this huge globe. Like it's, it's gotta be at least 10 feet wide, right? A 10 foot globe. And there's like six, six or eight cameras all around it projecting like an image of the earth rotating on it constantly. Right. So you can sit right there and look at what the earth looked like when it rotates. But then there's like a control panel at the front area of it. And then you go like, Hey, do you want to see, night lights like what the earth looks like at night you like select that and it like changes it and you're looking at the earth rotating by with what the city lights look like at night i'm like this is the coolest you want to see hot spots for oceanic currents put that on it's like this is where all the warm currents are in the ocean and as it rotates uh like fishing concentrations like where you find fish in different places in the world plop that up there and does it None of that information will be available without satellites paid for by government funds to put that stuff up there and be able to have this information. Is there continued value? Is that something that we would all agree is something we need to pay for? I mean, it's, I would, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, information is always cool. But, like, I wonder, too, what the – I wonder if that's something a fact that I could find really fast would be, like, the value, the value trade-off, Right. Um, like how much does it cost to launch these satellites, gather that information, run NOAA, like how many people are they paying salaries, right? Compared to what information they're providing. Cause then does the revenue 
generated by these news stations that use that weather information. Because people are checking weather. They're checking it. They're watching the weather forecast on their news stations. I'm checking my weather app. Like that's, you know, I was checking to see what the temperature actually was here when I told you, oh, actually, it's only 90 here now, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I, I can't imagine us all accepting a world where I don't have instant access to that information. Yeah. And it's weird that, you know, and it's, it, especially right now, we're in a very precarious position on the planet earth when it comes to uh, feeding people. If we didn't have access to like weather patterns and shit like that, like, Oh man, like, could you imagine like people just like planning way too much shit? And then like, there's a drought okay. coming on. <laughs> like, or, you know, are not planning enough, and then there's an El Nino coming around for California specifically. Mm. Um, it just, like, the stakes are are very high when it comes to weather prediction for planet yeah. Earth. I think most people take it for granted. I mean, I know that, like, the almanac concept, right? So you develop a standard, and it deviates a certain amount. Like, you have a certain amount of deviation that's possible. Um, I mean... People survived and farmed for centuries off of just basic understanding of how their local area weather is seasonal and will absolutely pretty much be 99% the same as it was the year before. But there's going to continue to be that change. And I think, especially if we accept that we are, especially by producing industrial type stuff that we're doing, we're affecting and increasing that rate of change, that now is the time when we need to maybe track that. And I think that a lot of scientists are using information provided by NOAA in order to make determinations uh, for being able to talk about climate change and, and global warming and all these other things, um, almost none of them could conduct their own research, right? They could go out and just make these determinations on their own. They're going to have to pull this information from an organization like NOAA in order to say yeah, they're tracking these changes in the water temperature. They're tracking these changes in weather patterns. And I'm extrapolating concepts based on information I can pull from the data that's available because of NOAA. Yeah, well, and I also think there there should be some distinction on, like, the old-school agrarian society mm-hmm. when they didn't know, you know, when the weather, weather was going to change, when they started, when they first started building almanacs. For them, the stakes, I mean, yeah, it was sort of high, but it wouldn't have affected millions of people. Like, like now, like, if you don't know, like, if, if say, if in California, just single out California alone. If we didn't, if the farmers in California didn't have, like, couldn't track accurate weather patterns, and all of a sudden, like, they had no idea about El Nino and droughts, and we just lost uh, the vast majority of California crops, how much would that affect the entire United States? It'd be significant. Yeah, it hurt the world, to be honest, because we export a lot, too. Yeah. And so, you know, back in the day, yeah, I mean, you had, like, obviously there was more farms. Well, yeah. there was more but less land, I guess, being used, right? For those farms, there was less people. But right. if, if you had a farm fail, like, it's not a big deal. Like, yeah, people would be affected, but it'd be, like, maybe thousands, not not millions or billions. Right. Yeah. There weren't that many people, I think. So. Yeah. yeah. That helped with the whole thing, the whole situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We could do for a, a purge. Well, it's, all, <laughs> well, it's also, it, it's very strange in, 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 you know, the United States where, we kind of pride ourselves on being very hyper individualistic. Right. But at the same time, totally ignoring that almost everybody that works in the United States works for a consumer. Yeah. You know, so you can't, you can't on one hand say you're going to be a hyper individual, 
when you have to serve people for your job and you and you also um, are counting on the people to provide for you like we if you're happy individual like it doesn't really exist but we keep pushing that yeah in the united states it's it's very strange to me definitely not if you want to be successful especially like in a service position if you're hyper individualistic and you're still needing to serve customers it usually doesn't work out very well for you like I don't think you're going to get good performance ratings and you're probably going to get fired. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, because I, I've seen things where, well, I'll take a, maybe a red herring. It's not really a red herring, but I think <laughs> about like the, the, the cake builder. They didn't want to build cake for the, you know, the gay couple, you know, right. because it did, he didn't believe in, you know, gay people having equal rights. And that's, that's that person's opinion. It's fine. It's very hyper-individualistic. Hyper point of view they're not they're they're not telling you to take a dick up the ass or to eat some pussy <laughs> you know they're just asking you to, to make a cake for their wedding there's they're not asking for anything more than that um but their individualistic attitude of well i don't believe in it so i'm not going to do it but then also on the other side there's other people that are just like well you don't have to do it so i'm gonna I'm, we're gonna make you a gofundme account so make sure you, you, you can survive but you can't be hyper-individualistic when you're doing... Like, you're basically taking bites out of two different cakes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Without even realizing it. I'm sure they yeah. didn't realize that their hyper-individualistic, like, attitude about not supporting their community, their society, and people around them, to then turn around and say, hey, people, give me some money. Well, but didn't you just say, hey, people, leave me... Like, I don't want to get involved in, in other people? Yeah. And I can almost guarantee you that the people that... Weird that donated to that person and the person that was making the cakes, they're the kind of people that were like, pull yourself, by, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. <laughs> but you just took a bunch of donations from people because you made a serious mistake. You know what I mean? It's like, where were the bootstraps there? Like, they gave you the boots and the straps. <laughs> Pay for it all. Yeah. I'll, I'll tie them on for you. You're good. I just, uh, it's going to be a sidebar story if you have a minute. Ah, go ahead. I mean, we got. Hold on. I want to make sure that we have time. We have time. We, have we definitely have time. <laughs> so, a marine I deployed in Afghanistan with. Um, not going to give names because it's still his personal story. Um, like found out two years ago in a really weird story for even the discovery that he had cancer. Damn. Um, yeah. So he. It was like two weeks after uh, his wife gave birth to his second child. He started like having discomfort pain and stuff down there, right? Goes in the doctor, testicular cancer. It's like, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty normal kind that we see. Uh, basically, treatment for it is we remove that one, we can give you a prosthetic or whatever, be pretty much like normal, and you should be good. It's usually one that is fine. It's like, okay, I mean, that sucks, but at least that's an easy solution, right? Yeah. It does the surgery, takes care of it. Uh, it's like maybe six months later, uh, they took a trip to Big Bear. He's not too far from here, right? Takes a trip up to Big Bear, and like he's having trouble breathing. He's like, my lungs kind of hurt. It's like, and they just kind of figured it maybe is the the, the freaking yeah altitude. He's like, whew, that's crazy. And then it just didn't stop. They went back home. And he's like, I still can't breathe. And then like two or three days like that, he's like, I'm gonna go see the doctor because something's wrong. Um, went in and sure enough, like when he had had it, it had spread to his lungs. 
So it's, yeah, so he's like, they like recommend chemo. So he goes through four rounds of chemo training, chemo, chemotherapy, completely changed. Like I saw a picture of him when he was doing, it was like, it does not even, you don't even look like you, dude. Like I do not recognize you at all because it's just completely changed. It just, it just wrecks you, you know? Yeah. Luckily he's, he's healing up and feeling better now from the chemo, but like goes through the chemo. They say pretty good. Um, but it looks like there's still a little bit that it didn't get, but it shrunk. Like it's really small. So we can go in and we can cut those parts of your lungs out. You should still be fine. So now he's like missing the upper part of the lobe of his lung. So let's say, okay, come back in two months. Should be good. Goes back in. It's back. Still has more in his lungs. This stuff has grown back out. I don't even understand how this is happening. Um, so the doctor tells him, he's like, the only other option we can really offer you, especially with the way they are right now is more chemo. He's like, I'm not doing more chemo. That's tough. (laughs) That ruined my life. I didn't enjoy it, right? So he said, realistically, um, there are quite a few good published um, medical journals that have talked about a specific kind of like um, homeopathic or um, natural treatment for this particular strain of cancer that has actually shown really, really good success. But no doctors in the United States provide that. And the VA definitely won't pay for it. He's got to go to Mexico. (laughs) Does he have to go to Mexico? (laughs) So he he has to go to Mexico, and he put up a GoFundMe. So I, I I paid in on that, and he I guess it's just Tijuana. So they have a place they like to stay in San Diego. But I was like, dude. It, so his his based on their planning, his target was like fifteen thousand um, dollars. He was already at like nineteen thousand by the time I even found out about it and donated. This dude's one of the best dudes. Like. He's the guy who for a year cut my hair in Afghanistan. Like this uh, guy yeah. is a dude. Like, he's awesome. Um, and just the funniest guy. Uh, but anyways, so he was going to go stay down there to like do regular trips. And then they'd stay in the area in San Diego, go down to Tijuana, do the treatments, come back, stay in San Diego for however long it takes for him to feel normal and go back home. And I was like, for however much you estimated, uh, dude, stay in an RV park, take my truck, my RV, go, go down there. Like, and it'll save you money long-term. Um, he's like, I will take you up on it if we get to that point. But for right now we have a plan and I really appreciate it. But like, it's just, to me, insane that that happened, right? And we talked about the medical support for it. And I know this is, I don't even know how I got to room thinking about this while we were talking about it. Um, just another Marine, right? Someone who you and I would just immediately care about and connect with. And it's just frustrating to see people have to deal with that in their life. And someone so close to me, I was like, I absolutely have to help out. Um, and so I'm trying, I'm, I told him, I was like, do, do not, Stop talking to me. Let me know if I can do anything. If it's just watch the kids for a weekend or something so you and your wife can have a time. It's just something. It just made me sad. So I don't know what we talked about that made no, me no. think about it. Let's share about, that story. We were talking about medical shit. And no, I mean, listen, once when you retire, it's going to happen someday. Don't know when. Don't know. We're going to talk about like a realistic conversation on, on America being the best. And I think that there's like a lot of shit where people just assume that we're the best, like, ever. Meanwhile, we have... We can't take care of our fucking... People that are active, military, our vets are, are treated even worse, you know, when it comes to medical care. And even, like, our general medical care, it's it's insane, because... Can you imagine, in any other field except for the medical field, can you imagine going to, to buy a service from anybody and having no idea how much it's going to cost? No idea how much it's going to cost. Yeah. Imagine going to buy a car, and just be like, "Oh, just sign on the dotted line. Like, this is your car. You can just—it's yours." Like, <laughs> what? How the fuck does that make sense? 
And eventually we'll tell you how much it's going to cost. Yeah, and, and, and it could, you know, bankrupt you for the rest of your life. And uh, <laughs> and we know you pay for insurance, but uh, it might not cover it. But you don't know. We're not going to tell you, but you can get it right now. Yeah. Did you, uh, you said you watched that Pace video, right? Yeah, that, that was the one about, <laughs> yeah. There's that part in it where he says, he's like, he's like, it is un-American to lose your finances and end up homeless because of uh, getting foreclosed on your house due to getting like environmental upgrades done for your house, whatever. You need to have un- unexpected medical bills like every other good American who ends up homeless. Yeah. I was like, oh, I got you. Sorry. If it, y'all are lost <laughs> what we're talking about. There's a John Oliver episode last week tonight where he does a thing about the pace, Ooh. which is basically how to make uh, like solar panels and other upgrades to your house uh quote unquote for it's not free but they make it seem like it's free but basically it's it's a lien on your goddamn house <laughs> so you basically put your house up as collateral on getting these upgrades done and he's it's a pretty it's a pretty um it's actually a pretty easy episode from um last week tonight because a lot of times he gets really really um dark right and i felt like that one was pretty Pretty straightforward, pretty honest, pretty easy. Like I think he felt they felt like that because again, a lot. Of, I, mean, I say he when I talk about this show and like like John Oliver is the one person who runs the whole thing. Yeah. He's got a really good crew. Yeah. He's got a really good research team. But like that, all of them decided that this seems like it should be a pretty straightforward, <laughs> pretty obvious thing to talk about and say like this is not working. This isn't good. It needs to not spread at least not in its current context. Um, it's one of those examples we talked about where you talk about a rule. You talk about regulation, you talk about a law where you're like, look at what this thing is doing today. And what I'll say always is like, but what was its intention? What was it trying to do? People don't take the effort it takes to pass a law to just totally fuck shit up, right? Well, <laughs> Usually they're trying to fix something. Maybe they just didn't know that they were going to break stuff. Yeah, well, that, that's I'll talk about the other side of that. So yeah, what you just said is totally valid. Like, what, what was the intent? But if, if your intent... And then the implementation of it fucks up a whole bunch of other shit. It's like, whoa, there, there is like, there's no breaks. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, if you look at, um, I will take an unpopular, for most people probably, an unpopular policy, and it's uh, affirmative, affirmative action. Do you know who affir- affirmative action affects the most? Take a wild guess. What, a, a particular group of people who it affects the most? Native Americans. No. It's white women. Uh, white women? Yeah. <laughs> because it's because the way it's written, it's primarily speaking about... Um, I'll, I'll fact-check myself real quick, but... That's no, I'm talking about it. Yeah. So, because so, again, the way you phrase it makes me think that the reason for that would be that the way it's written is to ensure that you have minority groups, uh, you know, as defined by certain specific bubbles that you check on a, a sheet, um, mostly based on race, that you have to, you know, hire a certain percentage of your company's organization for that. But at no point are they saying you need to hire a certain number of women or pay them the same amount as the men you're hiring. Is that what it's mostly you're mostly saying? Like it's ensuring that these other men um, well, it's, get it, access to the thing, but they don't. It doesn't ever do anything for the the white women. Yeah, the, the way that it's no, it actually if the white women are getting the most amount of jobs through affirmative action. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I thought you were saying like no, it's the exact it, opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the exact opposite. Like because we're talking that, about like unexpected, inadvertent things. But okay. Yes, and so it's mostly. And actually, I'm seeing another one here that's saying white men, but I'm just like, mm, 
maybe huh? from Washington Post. So I'll have to read up on it some more. But it, but it's nowhere is it that it's it's minorities. The mi- <laughs> minorities are definitely not the ones that are um, getting the Benefit most out of it. From, um, it it's, I mean, it's it's because of the way it's written, you know. Yeah, that's like obviously probably like overview. Like if you read the 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 what do we call it, the like executive summary, the like uh, look. This is the basics of what this whole thing is. Yeah. I can't remember. It's, it's like a preface in most of the bills. Um, like you read that, I guarantee it says what the whole objective is. This is what we're trying to do. Yeah. And yet if everything after that is somehow being interpreted in a way that does not accomplish that, it shouldn't matter, right? Do you remember, um, here's a Marine Corps question for you. Do you remember like what it is when we're doing orders and we say we're going to do five paragraph order and we issue you all this like detailed 15 page thing or whatever. There's a part of it. There's a part of it where if all else fails, follow this one thing. You remember what that is? I cannot remember. <laughs> it's 20 years yeah, ago. It's fine. It's a part. It's, so it's like a part of the order where it's called commander's intent, right? So there's the commander's intent and then there's like uh, actual mission and execution, administration. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff. But if at any point in that you go, but this doesn't fall underneath commander's intent, you don't even need to get someone to tell you like, oh, well, let's change that that mission. Just do the right thing and meet the commander's intent. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things. Like, if you go through um, the enemies of America, like when they fight us in war, like one of the greatest things about, they talk about, well, one of the worst things they talk about fighting Americans, especially Marines, is that we don't follow fucking rules. Like, because most militaries, like they, it's cut and dry. That like, you do this, then that, and, you know, it's very cut and dry. But with like, the American mentality on like how to like we get the fucking mission done, like yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. Like it, it might not be the way that it was written, but it's gonna get done. And I think Marines are probably the best at doing that. I'm obviously I'm I'm biased on that, but I, I've seen Marines think outside of the box way more, especially when it comes to, like I've I've had to think outside of the box with like dumbass, you know, superiors. Like I'll get I'll get the shit done, but it might not be the way that you thought it was gonna be. So yeah. we talked about that the other day. I think like. Don't don't tell me how to do what you asked me to do. Just give me the goal yeah. and I'll figure it. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. I mean, you recommended a book, which I, I downloaded. <laughs> um, I yeah. haven't listened to it. It's in the queue. But yeah, I mean, like, if you don't trust like your underlings, um, it's it's terrible. And if you don't trust your your you know superiors, it's even more terrible. Like it, that's that's why I got out. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, and even that ability to think out the box i'm trying to continue to expand and foster that through like way more critical thinking training yeah. way less know how to answer the questions on some test right that's as as someone who is hopefully going to influence the way we teach things that's my goal like i want and this is the commandant's goal too so it's really crazy that i have to fight so hard for it which is like he wants marines who can think not marines who know Right, his or who do like who just act like he wants them to think. He wants thinking enlisted Marines to actually analyze what it is they're about to do and think their way through the problem. Because you're not always going to be faced with something straightforward, and things are never going to go the way we plan them. Yeah, we all know that. I mean, we, we know about it even through like basic training. Like we we're all taught that things are probably not going to go the way that that you plan, and yeah. so you know you have you have to be able to adapt and overcome. You know, it's like part of the Marine Corps. <laughs> I have to send you a file. This is like not going to go to anybody outside of this discussion right now. <laughs> and you will have to read it. So it is what is called an end of course critique. Mm-hmm. We had chiefs come in um, and 
the end of course critiques were insane. Like yeah. it was so bad of a review of us, despite the fact that what the real issue is, is they fail to understand that, that piece really, which is like some, even for us, we can plan out a course as much as we want and days are going to happen where things come up and things change. And I, I, I tried to explain it to one, two or three classes ago where I was like, we, we had the instructors make a change to a, an op order they gave them because there were some issues with just the way it was laid out. It wasn't quite as clear. So I can make these changes and then we'll update them on it. And then you give that to the students and they're like, well, well why? I was already working on this thing. Which change was like, you think that at some point when you're planning a thing, something's not going to change. And you're going to have to change your plan and update stuff. You will absolutely have to do this. Stop crying. Just do, move forward. Yeah. It was, it's insane. You're going to, you will, you will, you will laugh your ass off at this, this, this document I'll send you later. But like, it's crazy how much they, they uh, were frustrated by the, the methods we took to make them better Marines. But then what's really funny is in the end of it, they're all like, I learned a crap load out of this course. I feel like I am so much more prepared to do this stuff. Like, Why are you freaking crying the whole time then? Well, people, I mean, people fear a change. I mean, that's just the way human being, most human beings are. Like, even me, like, I, there's times where, like, things change at work, and I'm just like, another fucking change. I'm like, hey, just chill the fuck out. Like, it's a change. Like, just deal with it. You like, th there's been no changes that you've ever had at any kind of job that um, you couldn't overcome, or you just find another job. Like, it's not, it's not a huge deal. <laughs> like, the worst comes to the worst. Marine Corps is a little bit different, obviously. They're not gonna find a new gig, or actually, they could just get out if they wanted to. If it's that bad, just get out. Or um, you can move, especially these guys who are like sergeants, sergeants. You can move. You yeah. can change jobs. It's not, it's not a huge deal. It's not, it's not the be all end all. But I, I think that. Uh, People just, they don't want to be, like, really flexible in what they do. Like, they, well, this is the problem, I think, with sort of the Marine Corps sort of in general, is that when it comes to general Marines, it's a very, they want the structure to be very rigid, but at the same mm -hmm. time, a lot of flexibility for the individual, which those are two conflicting things, right? Yes. On just a basic premise, it, it can work, but it takes a very special kind of person for them to make it work, right? And if you're not that kind of person, if you're just the super rigid guy, which is probably the vast majority of the Marine Corps, then they are not going to be very good for change. But if you're somebody that, that can adjust to change, you're going to be better off, but you also have to deal with the people that are very rigid. And so you get like this this huge conflict, and that, that's why you don't see a lot of, if, from an out part, as outside perspective now, as a, you know, as a Marine that's been out for a while, um, that's why you see things keep being the same because they, they keep staying in that rigid mentality, not understanding that the thing that made the Marine Corps great throughout history was our ability to adapt and overcome. So, yeah, I, I would love to read um, what what they said, but because, yeah, like, like I said, it's, it's, it's very difficult for you to just be like, you, they pound in like how to be a Marine and then all of a sudden, well, think for yourself. Like, well, how do I do that? <laughs> and so one of the that's that's like that's the first class that i teach to every class that starts which is how to um first it starts with making sure that they understand that at no point in their career so far especially for these like senior folks like in chiefs courses um and even like i've, I've talked to the entry levels and those who've gone through high school or 
even the lieutenants who've gone through college classes. I'm like, at probably no point in your career, maybe some of you, maybe if you're like a psych major, has anyone ever told you that like how you interact with the information that you're trying to learn impacts how well you actually learn it, right? You usually expect or have been told that like this is the information you need to know to pass the exam so that you can go on and do great things, right? Just that's how it works. Despite the fact that as soon as you finish listening to someone, for everybody who's just listening to this podcast or or reading something for those who are reading books but not really interacting with the information, as soon as you finish doing that, 70% of the information that you just heard or just read, you forget it immediately. Only 30% of it do you retain. But if you do something as simple as actually interacting with that information, taking some notes or making yourself answer some questions about what you think the, the next topic. So you see the topic, like what are some things they might cover? Make some guesses. Doing these weird little simple things, interacting with the information will significantly extend the amount of information that you remember. They don't know that because we've never taught them that. Yeah. No one in any school anywhere has ever told them that these are things that you are in control of. I'm doing my best to make sure that my instructors facilitate that. But really in the end, your learning is on you, right? What you learn is up to you and how you study. They're going to present information and try to make it engaging and try to get you to do more. But it's still, you you have way more time with yourself and the information than we do with you and the information we're giving you. Um, so making sure they understand we're doing that stuff before they start is how I've helped a lot of the other classes, but I haven't had a chance to do that with this group. And uh, you can tell because <laughs> they were like, why are you breaking my construct of how I understand the Marine Corps work? Just tell me what I need to know for the test. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's like one of those. I'll, I'll goddamn. We need to just do a goddamn episode on just the Marine Corps because we've been talking about it for a while, but because we obviously went way off topic from the weather. But it's it's fine. I'm gonna tell you a story. But when I was on the eleventh Mew, and I remember I was supposed to do like some ship to shore shot. The first ship to shore shot to cover data data communications between ship to shore. Nice. Um, and this is back in like two thousand. What's up? Was it a DeWitt's system? Because uh, I think it's like the only one they... Thanks. Yeah, it was, but it was using... Um... God damn it. It's such a long time ago yeah, when yeah. I did this. Yeah, it's it's ancient knowledge for me now. But anyway, no matter what system it went through, it was definitely going through Cisco fucking routers. Okay. So I was in Africa, and they wanted me to do a ship-to-shore shot to a ship that's obviously... It's fucking moving, right? So no matter where I positioned the... Yeah, up and down or even left or right, you know, it's... You gotta move. When you when you talk about like you know routing technologies, um, there's a couple different ways you can go. Like you can do like EIGRP, which is back in the day most people used because you have a, basically a pipe that is set out, and if it drops, then it drops and it has to go back through and like do like a hello packet and like redo reestablish communications. But once it drops, like it knows that hey, this communication is gone. I'm gonna chill for a minute. And then once I get, once I establish communications again and it's solid, then we can start communicating again. Once they told me about like the ship to shore shot, I was just like, why are we using EIGRP? Like if you're fucking moving and I drop a packet, like I'm fucked for a while. And they were like, nah, like this is the way we're going to do it because this is the way that, you know, this is the way we're going to work. Yeah. I'm just like, I don't think it's going to work. Okay. But I'll, I'll do it for you. So we go 
I'm trying to fucking get this shit to work for like two or three fucking weeks. I'm like, yo, can we just try like OSPF? Yeah. Like to, to do this. And like, cause that way the, the pipe is always open. So no matter when the packets are coming in and out, like it knows that the pipe is there. Even if packets drop, like it'll just resend them. It won't just drop the entire connection and like wait for a while before you do the three way handshake again. And it took me three fucking weeks to convince them to go to OSPF. And eventually went to OSPF. Shit was golden. It wasn't fast, but it fucking worked. And it was just like, it took me because I was a, you know, I was a Lance Corporal at the time. And they're just, they're not willing to listen to, you know, some lower in in E3. It's like, but I'm really good at what I do. (laughs) So maybe listen. It just, I'm I'm glad that it, it worked out eventually, but it was just like, man, it was a lot of downtime. I mean, still specifically hasn't worked out because guess what? We're still not allowed to teach. OSPF. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous, it's ridiculous, man. Yeah, like, so I would get it at the entry level since like ninety percent of the links we do are EIGRP. But like when we're talking about chiefs, like dudes who need to be thinking about options, we should be explaining the differences in routing protocols. Yeah, and I'm surprised I can still remember that because I, I don't do any fucking router shit anymore. I'm a I'm a yeah. I'm a storage area network guy. <laughs> yeah, that's a simple. It's a, like a your topics while probably over the head of a number of people who don't do anything to do with networking. Yeah, very simple points you just made. Very simple that I totally understand. And I'm not a routing guy. Like I'm not a networking guy, but I was a tech controller, so like I dealt with it. Yeah, enough. To know, like I know the difference between those. I still have to deal with EIGRP and RIP V2. I still like deal with some networking protocols, but like that's not my job every day. But I still understood your arguments, and it's frustrating that people can't. Like, what that is is that's that simple thing of resistance to change, like we talked about. Well, it's resistance to change, and it's also like if they're still not teaching it, then this is just like a, a literal. We talked about it before, but it's a rift between Silicon Valley and the military. I mean, like if people don't understand that there are times and places for different routing protocols, and just like other protocols in general. I'm not just talking about just you know routing yeah. protocols, but there's times and places point. for it. And the fact that you, uh, Silicon Valley is so resistant to work with the military right now, it's for a good reason, and I understand the reason now that I'm on the outside. But at the same time, like the military needs to like be more open to like listen to new ideas and like not just listen to the same old fucking bullshit. You know, I can't believe you guys are still fucking using EAGRP. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Almost exclusively. Um, the we do. Quite a bit of like dynamic tunneling stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the EIGRP hasn't become as much of an issue, but it's still what like definitely all of the like internal dynamic routing is done that way. Most of the external links are are some kind of tunnel. So and there's probably some new because like I said, I've been out of routing since 2003 is the last time I dealt with like routing. Um, there's probably something way newer than and better than OSPF and ERGRP, um, but yeah, it's just there's a there's a disconnect between. No, OSPF is still a very very key protocol for for basic routing. Okay. Uh, Army does primarily use OSPF, and get totally confused when we tell them we're doing the IGRP, and they're like, "Yeah, what? Why are you using an internal routing protocol yeah. for your external links?" <laughs> like, yeah, that's a real question. Maybe we should have a conversation about that. <laughs> um, so. You mentioned too, like I do want to hit the point since you did kind of mention on it, the, the what a definition for a desert is since I'm in one. Yeah, so it's basically it's a it's a lack of moisture. 
Um, yeah, sorry. You're at. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Antarctica is probably the biggest desert on the planet. It absolutely is. Yeah. The like, amount- oh, well, it's frozen. Yeah, it's frozen, but they get less than an inch of water every single year. Yeah, it doesn't rain, doesn't <laughs> yeah. snow. Um, when you see like those videos of the penguins and it being like there's this huge snowstorm, it's, it's not in fresh snow, <laughs> no. right? It's the it's the ice and snow that's on the ground and a huge windstorm kicking up all of the stuff. There's no new precipitation. Um, it very rarely gets any any snow, and it would always be snow, not not rain. But um, upper parts of Alaska count as certain deserts. Um, uh, I like Greenland. The northern parts of Greenland are absolutely a desert. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, most people think of where I am right now, which is, you know, Mojave. You think of uh, the, the Gobi Desert. You think of the Sahara, right? Um, yeah. Which, I mean, too, but, I mean, there are deserts, but go there during the wintertime and you, it's going to be freezing fucking cold. Yeah, there's going to be yeah. no snow, but you're going to freeze your ass off. You're going to die from um, the cold, not the heat. Trust. Yeah. Yeah, because there with no precipitation very little like atmospheric um like overpressure stuff the temperatures are extreme it's kind of like we talk about with those planets where sun on one side absolute space cold on the other uh these extremes happen in in a similar way in in desert areas because you have less atmospheric um activity going on to kind of insulate the stuff below it so even and it's, I mean, there's also global position like where where are you at on the globe north to south yeah. further away from the crater you're going to get always get less moisture which is a really weird thing with the sahara totally admit that but that's air currents and other things that contribute to that it almost always direct all the weather patterns away from that northern part of africa so they just don't ever get any precipitation and then when they but do like you ever watch like yeah. the videos of like when they when parts of the desert do get water it's amazing <laughs> yeah it's amazing like watching waiting water yeah like watching like a watching a cactus like just like enlarge from just like getting water out of the ground it's like it's what the fuck it's like watching it's like watching a heart on (laughs) watch it happen in slow motion yeah it's it's crazy and like watching all the other animals and stuff like really flock to these uh these oasises that you know do develop at certain times um in these deserts uh, or, or actually at the edge of the desert. It's just, it's it's amazing. And and just seeing, like, the certain plants that even during, like, normal, you know, non-rainy seasons, like, seeing how these plants survive and just, like, get moisture out of the air, and it's just like, whoa, it's crazy. Yeah, the, you remember the Joshua trees? You remember the trees down here? Yeah, yeah, they're also in the Middle East. <laughs> yes, they are really rare trees, and the way they survive is, like, very, very long, like far outspread, but very shallow roots that are able to get water fast and then keep the tree. So any rain that's falling in an area is like going to pull that moisture in, which is super cool. Um, oh, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> he even heard that. <laughs> she said, hallow, which is one of our, um, is it's the only male dachshund that we have. Good night, I love you too. <laughs> Uh, so that he is the man in the bed. All right. <laughs> That's what happens when we when we stay up later. Is he gonna pee on your pillow? Is that what's gonna happen? <sighs> he has actually recently started this thing where he pees on the bed. Um, but he only does it's it's weird. Thing. So like normally, like you should do with your dogs if you have them, 
they go outside before going to bed. So that way they have the opportunity to go just like all of us before going to bed. Um, and he has started being a little asshole and like going outside with everybody else, come back in, pee on the bed. You're like, I just fucking let you outside, go outside and go pee. Uh, so yeah, I think he got out of that. Uh, he got to stay in his bed, like in a little kennel for a little while one night cause he peed on the bed. So. Yeah, we had to, uh, so our dog, he just turned 15 this week. Super old for a dog. Yeah. And he hasn't slept in, he used to sleep on our bed, like all the time, and in our room. But he just, he won't stop looking at himself. He won't stop, like, walking around. Just like, hey, man, like, you, just, you can't sleep in the room anymore. We don't, we, don't, we don't kettle him, but he, we just put him outside of our room, and he, we put him on a bed out, outside, and it's just like, not outside the house. Like, just, he's in the house, but outside of our room. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I'm not get, I, like I'm losing sleep, man. Like you just constantly licking yourself. I'm like, dude. <laughs> Go to, yeah. yeah. They dogs get anxiety too, man. And so there's, he's feeling old. Something's bothering him. But if and it might be too being there with you guys there, something going on. I wonder if he does it in the hallway too. I don't hear it at all. Like I hear him walking around every now and again because we have a uh, you know hardwood floors, and that gets fucking annoying. But he usually stops after a while. Um, yeah, but I don't hear so him looking at all. I wonder if he's sleeping better too. Is what I'm saying. Like, hopefully, that separation is yeah. Hopefully, helping both of you. But um, anyway, not too much longer. Um, do you think that? So here's the thing: is there, there's not like some ability for us to say like we're two people and two nerds who totally agree that like having space resources and an entire government organization dedicated to like conducting this weather research stuff is important, right? It helps yeah. all the things, but like who makes that decision? Who, who creates NOAA and decides that we need to launch satellites and does all that stuff? How is that funded and who decides that that's a thing that needs to exist? Yeah, obviously it's, it's parts of our government that we, you know, we give the government money to make these decisions for us, which this, in this instance, it's a pretty decent decision. But it it also could not be, you know. I I guess this is one of the ones where I don't know the downsides of having Noah around. Right. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there's like some really dark shit that's happening and you know, whatever. But as far as like right now, as far as I know, like it seems pretty on the level. So I'm okay with 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 Noah. It's like you look at all those Doppler radar images, right? So it's like you can tell that the satellite's going over and is able to pick up information about these cloud systems, also the weather stuff. It's like what else are they picking up pictures of? Yeah. <laughs> could, could be a are you lot. checking your underwear? Is that what's happening? Well, and this is like, one thing I want to bring up like, before we end the podcast, it's going to happen soon, um, is I remember thinking about when we were kids, because we were roughly the same age. Remember yeah. hearing about acid rain? Yeah. What the fuck happened to acid rain? It still happens. No. It really doesn't. It's not not like, that much. It's not like... This thing that melts your skin. See, I think the thing was, like, <laughs> we were the age when that stuff was talked about. It was like, we're going to go outside and it's going to rain on us and I'm going to turn into this, like, puddle on the ground. It was never that, but that's how a kid, that's how I remember thinking about it. Well, and once I was, about it, I was like, oh, well, that's not that. Well, it was actually, it was getting, the pH balances were way off with rain back then. I had to watch a video on it because I was like, why don't we hear about us rain anymore? And the thing is, it's it's because we have uh, a system of I think it's the the carbon credits, and there's another program too where like basically we're like, listen, 
Like you can't you can't have these certain chemicals just like spraying out in the atmosphere anymore. Because we saw yeah. that you know this is like causing the pH balances for rain to like go way up into the acidic range. And so an actual government policy is, is kind of what fixed that, but nobody really talks about it. And it's the same thing with like lead in the ocean. Like that's another one. But do you think that those policies are in place in countries that are significantly polluting um, beyond now what we were doing for a long time, like China and a couple others who are dealing with smog like on levels beyond what even L.A. deals with? Um, well, that's that's the bad side, right? Because because when you sell if you can sell carbon credits and if you can buy them, like who's going to who's probably going to buy them? Who's going to sell them? Right. So in America, we're probably going to we're probably going to sell them. And in China, they're probably going to buy them. Because right now they're pushing through a bigger like industrialization, like we did, and are now where we were dealing with that. And that's why I was like, and we encouraged it, right? We've encouraged that to happen. I, I haven't seen a product that I've taken out of a box that was shipped to my house in the last month since I got back from vacation that wasn't made in China. Yeah, everything. The only thing, actually, uh, prior to leaving, uh, one of these hats, I think, was made in the United States. <laughs> it's an American hat made in China. Oh, yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. But I'm just saying, like, I think, so, like, there's a couple of small groups that still manufacture stuff here. But because of stuff like that and understanding that we put regulations in place to limit how easy that is, like, it now becomes harder for them to produce these things. They produce them somewhere else where they don't have those regulations. So that stuff's still going into the atmosphere. Weather is not like local, right? The rain you get isn't necessarily the water that came from your ground. Yeah, but I mean, we, we can also see like the, the impact in China. And it does, you're right, it does affect, you know, the rest of the world. But like when you looked at um, like the amount of smog that's in like Hong Kong or Shanghai or, you know, other parts of China, like it's fucking crazy. It's, it's crazy. And so for somebody to be like, oh, well, you know, it's okay now. It's like, it's okay here, but, you know, in other parts of the world, like, it's it's not okay. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if weather satellites can tell the difference between, that's something I need to look at, between, like, clouds, um, pH levels and things like that, that could you tell that a cloud is going to be more acidic and cause problems like that than than others. It'd be interesting to find out if they could tell the difference. They probably can. But I mean, they, they definitely did, you know, ban a whole bunch of chemicals that they knew were fucking up the pH balances of like of yeah. water, water droplets. And then another one was like the, uh, the whole lead, uh, when they saw like the lead in the ocean was like skyrocketing during like the seventies. And like some guy was like, I don't know if it's the gas, but we definitely put lead in gas. So, uh, can we not put lead in gas? And they were like, okay, we'll try that. And then all of a sudden the problem just fixed itself. But yeah, that yeah. was one of the things that was like literally, they had no concrete correlation. But he was just like, it, it's probably the lead in the gas. And that's why we don't have lead in gas. Exhaust is going right into the water, right? I mean, yeah. makes sense. But What's we, funny also, too we still sell lead gas, by the way. Just everybody's confused. If it's over 100 octane, there's lead in your gas. <laughs> so the, the motorcycles were these British motorcycles that I trained the couriers on in Afghanistan. The motorcycles we were doing them, they were leaded gas yeah. um, motorcycles. So when we were conducting the training, you'd line up, you know, to run a drill. You'd have to like Offset. come into line. Everybody turns your engines off. It's like, <laughs> you're standing in line, breathing in all this leaded exhaust. It will jack you up. So it's like 
to get in line, you turn yourself up. You like walk it forward until you're next in line, then you fire it up and then you go. No, like, no. yeah, it was, I was like, these are leaded gas on these things? What the hell? Because that was before either of us were born. They made that decision to fix that. But yeah. You still see stuff around with it. Well, I mean, it's it's more than you think. Like, anytime you watch like race cars and shit like that, it's all leaded. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's way easier to up the octane of the gas when you uh, le- add uh, lead in. So, yeah. I wonder why. Like, I'd, I'd love to learn the science of that. I'm going to have to see if uh, Smarter Every Day did a video on that already. Yeah. I think it has something to do with, like, the density of, like, how much shit you can pack in the chamber when it explodes. So I was thinking it would, because of the lead being in there, the compression would in- immediately increase, which would then make the drive faster with less fuel. Yeah. Like, less fuel burnables. So that makes sense. And the lead probably distributes well or something. But also kills us. But, yeah. Anyway. Ah, fast engine. But then they figured out, you know, E85, e- they figured out how to, like, super compress that with, like, certain engines. So, I, I don't know. You can get, like, if you get, like, a Subaru boxer motor, apparently you can get E85 with a turbocharged, and you can compress the shit out of that gas. And I don't know how that works either. So, <laughs> but yeah, do we know what E85 is doing? Don't know. Yeah. It's made out of corn. I, all I know is that you probably shouldn't use corn as fuel because we eat it. And it's one of the most important uh, grains in the world. Mm. Maize, mm-hmm. corn, maize, you know, it's important. Yeah, there was, you know, this, it sounds like you obviously know the story in like Mexico corn shortage for a while, not, not too long ago. I think it was a year ago. Yeah. You hear about that one? Yeah, yeah. I mean. It was better for them to sell it to U.S. Um, biodiesel producers than it was for them to sell it for food producers in Mexico. So then suddenly there was like, there were no corn tortillas in Mexico at all. They're like, how do we eat? Like, how are we supposed to make food? Yeah. It'd be like, farmers are like, not paid well, but they don't have any food to buy. So dang it. It'd be like if, if we lost like wheat or yeah. corn. I mean, corn is still a significant portion of our diet. Yeah. Especially yeah. when we look at like sweeteners, like high fructose corn syrup, get rid of that. Yeah. People are going to be pissed. I but what we were doing, we still sub, um, we still like, I can't think, what's it called? Take care of corn crops? Um, subsidize. Subsidize. God, why couldn't I think of the word? So we still subsidize the corn farmers so that they don't sell it to uh, biodiesel for them to sell it as food. Like we know as a government, we're like, obviously you would choose the the most money you can make for your crop. And right now, that could be biodiesel, but instead, we'll make sure that we pay you this much when you sell it for food. Well, also, I think that, hold on, there's a problem with that, though, because most of the corn that is sold, that is consumed in America is not in corn form. It's in a non-edible form when it's raw, and they have to break it down into, like, uh, high fructose corn syrup and other chemical agents. And that's a huge problem, because, like, if you look at, like, the, the price of a can of Coke, like, it should be, like, over a dollar. Like, way over a dollar. But the fact that it's subsidized from our own tax dollars, it's less than, like, it's less than a dollar. It should, it should probably be, like, two or three dollars. It, it should basically cost the amount of uh, the, the price of beer. But it costs mm-hmm. less than the price of water. And people are just like, oh, that's normal. Like, it's not normal. Like, you're, we're using our own tax dollars to subsidize this this whole industry that shouldn't really exist like yes corn is important but it shouldn't be used for that especially when you look yeah. at the the health consequences of oh, yeah, corn yeah. Yeah. It's bad. um 
I had one more idea on space. Do you have anything? I mean, on weather. Do you have yeah. anything? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So it was space weather. Did you know that there's space weather? Space. Well, yeah, right. Was it the the Van Allen belt and like there's a whole bunch of shit out there. Yeah. Yeah. So like mostly it's really what it can be referred to one of two ways. So we say space weather, but mostly solar weather. So it's the stuff that causes aurora borealis, and so you have this magnetic field that protects the Earth atmosphere and what you're seeing is the sun's like energy pushing across us at the very magnetic poles it kind of like does this weird thing as it passes past but that's still activated in the atmosphere and so it impacts a lot of the stuff that like i deal with so for any communications that passes from earth to outside and has to pass through the atmosphere depending on the amount of solar activity um, and basically what the space weather looks like it can affect different kinds of um, communications and so it can be a thing i know i know that um we're moving our way into what's called a solar max so the the sun runs on an 11 year cycle and every 11 years it like enters a max period and then for another 11 years is in the min period so opposite in obvious centers of those is two like most max most min but like we're going into a max and they just had the largest solar flare um, that's happened in the last like 25 years happened not too long ago. Pretty cool pictures of it. It's like just huge ejection from the sun that you don't get to see all the time. They got really good images yeah. of it, which was a, super cool. a mass coronal ejection. Yeah, so they which is it. what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an ejection instead of an injection. Yes, there's a really good book that uh, I think you should probably read. Uh, it's Chris Fox's book. I think it's is a Deathless series. Or basically, a mass coronal coronal ejection causes like old gods to come back and like a bunch of people to just die from nice. like crazy things and like it's it's a really people become zombies and get all fucked up and it's it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like wasn't that kind of part of how um, there was a TV show that did the like all electronics things stopped working? Uh, not resistance, uh, revolution. I think. Is, is yeah. And then the O was like an on-off symbol. Yeah. Good series. Yeah. That show's concept was basically some big solar flare caused everything to stop working was the way they pitched it to start. I I haven't watched it. so. Oh, I've watched it. I watched, uh, I think both, I'm pretty sure it was two or maybe three seasons and I'm pretty sure I watched it all. It was very good. And then I, then I read a book that was like, it was like that same concept, but like, but way better. Mm. <laughs> so... Well, that's and that's so that's the strategy I always tell, uh, even if it wasn't an exact example. But um, if there's a book and a TV show or a movie, watch the TV show or movie first, and then read the books, because yeah. then you enjoy both things. Uh, whereas if you read the book first and then go watch whatever was produced, you're gonna hate it. You're gonna be like, "This is stupid. Why didn't you have this character? Or why didn't they think? Why didn't I know what was going on with this character when this happened? And like, you didn't paint that scene the way I wanted to. That character didn't look anything like I thought they did in my head." Yeah, that's a weird one where you have like these. Where, I think the best authors when they when they describe a character, they'll describe them in very much in very lengthy detail. It's kind of mm -hmm. general, like skin tone, maybe some, maybe what their hair looks like, maybe their eye color, maybe some scars. That's about it. You know, the worst writers that I've seen is where they say, "Oh, it looks like Matt Damon, but a little different." I'm just like, mm. Mm -hmm. or like going into way too much detail. I'm just like, keep it ambiguous. Yeah, people can pretend. Yeah, I I have found the last few, especially like even this series too. In a lot of cases, 
it's non-specific as to what um like what color they would be either like what their skin tone would be at all so it's like like they just explain that they're very large unless they're like a specific um regional group that they're trying to do like so right now with um inferno being in the desert like has more of a darker skin tone like yeah. like people in the desert would probably have who live there extensively but then like some of the characters i'm like i honestly don't know for sure what their skin tone would be but that's fine like brutus brutus could honestly be anybody yeah yeah I, he says he's huge right and he has long hair and then he's like always sitting sipping lemonade but that does not tell me anything about what he really looks like so he could be pictured anyway in any of our heads he could be the rock or he could be you know the mountain yeah. <laughs> you know from game of thrones so. yeah and I, I honestly have kind of like in my head been like i i don't know which way it would go like i was kind of thinking of a couple of marines that i know who are like just huge yoked dudes and I'm like that could be any of those guys yeah. <laughs> So. I like that because the, the story is what's important, not the actual physical characteristics of the character. So unless their physical characteristics are important to the story, you know, yeah. then it's a little different. Or for like a, a comic concept, too. So like in in the tarot series, Kyle is the like Earth mage who's with him all the time. And so then, you know, you're going to have moments where it's like Brutus, who's huge and Kyle, who's like this total skinny, like 20 year old dude who Brutus like smacks him on the back and like knocks him over. And you're yeah. like, okay, funny little comedic moment you need because you need the skinny dude and the big dude to make that happen. So yeah, uh, it's like that. It's funny. All right. But like, I'm going to set that up. I could see that. All right. Got to wrap it up. We're at our limit. Yep. We're running towards the end. Um, so I guess maybe what I would say is the next time we think about talking about weather, it's like, here's the weather I am thinking about right now and thinking about outside. Um, consider the fact that you could check on your phone and figure out what your weather is going to be and that that comes from somewhere, right? And that means we've all agreed that we are willing to pay through our government uh, for that to exist. I know that as a motorcycle rider, like I, when I'm going to ride, I'm always checking the weather for the day. It's like, do I need to go ahead and throw on my rain gear because it's going to rain? Not here, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, so I put it on the winter because it's a pretty darn good warming layer, too. Yeah. It just keeps the warmth in. But, like, those are things that, you know, it's hard It's hard for me to to decide how, how, like, how I would handle that talking to other libertarians. Because I do feel like I agree with the fundamental concepts of the idea that, like, we should all have as much personal freedom as possible. But that doesn't necessarily mean that all government programs are bad, right? And it's that we shouldn't be expecting people to pay any money into the government in any way and that everybody should just handle that stuff individually, which some of the extreme ends of you know, that group tend towards. Because I, like, like we said, like, I, don't, I, I can't see a scenario where people would be willing to accept that we don't have access to this information um, for safety reasons too, like we predict hurricanes, we predict all these other things that allow us to evacuate people to safety, um, reduce the impact of these disasters. Just imagine this, imagine this. Would we accept that um, some kind of emergency support should be available to people who get involved in some kind of natural disaster like a hurricane, right? Are we going to help these people? Most of us would agree that that's probably something we should do. Um, it would significantly increase that cost if we didn't have the ability to predict this weather and evacuate as many people as we possibly could. Right. So does it offset that cost? Do we like suddenly go, well, by having this predictive capability, 
we reduced the cost this much, so it's totally worth launching a few satellites and beaming that information to all the weather people. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think when it comes to, you know, libertarianism and, you know, people wanting, like, the free markets to, like, figure out everything, it's like, I don't think that the free markets should figure out everything. Because, um, listen, especially when you talk about, like, no, no regulation, it becomes ridiculous because it's like... Right. It, when, you, when you talk about profits, okay, um, I'm not going to... I don't want to, you know, rely upon a corporation that is profit driven to protect me. You know what I mean? Because I when like right now, if something happens to you that's like really bad, what do you do? You dial nine one one. The services that you're dialing into, they're already paid for because you paid for them. Yeah. But if you but if you got rid of all that stuff and you're just like, oh well just let some corporation deal with that. Well what if you're in an emergency and you call that number and then all of a sudden you have to give them your credit card. Or you get billed in some way, some ambiguous way like our current, you know, medical system. Where you have no idea how much it's going to cost, you just you you're in a crisis, and then all of a sudden you don't know can you can you afford this, right? And that that's an issue that I, I think that um, some people are you know super into like yeah yes the the government should be smaller but how small should it should it be? I think when it comes to and don't get me wrong like I'm super for you know reducing the amount of police that we have in America, but it's also yeah. Um, reducing them, but also replacing them, some of them, a lot of them, with people that can actually handle people with actual crises that don't involve violence. Um, because I don't think that the the vast majority of police officers are um, trained to deal with that in a, an appropriate way. Because most police officers that I've seen um, go to violence first and not deal with the crisis. Like, is this person having like an actual mental breakdown? Should I tase them? You know, or just immediately going to the taser or just having somebody that's like an actual mental health expert talking to somebody like, hey, like, what's what's going on here? How can we calm you down, bring you down? You know? Yeah. And like, when does the order like you needing things to just be normal um, become reason enough for violence and things? You shouldn't be the person perpetrating that. Right. Like if no one right now is in danger of also having violence perpetrated against them chill the fuck out yep. cop like it's okay it's okay no one is in threat or danger of dying right now you should not be going for force when that occurs get it like because you know we both have been people who have had to understand that the potential for violence is necessary right but that it's situationally dependent right yeah yeah you have to like you got to cross a few lines for me to like really see. Because like, literally, I, I've been, Jesus Christ, this is in Comic Con like a couple of years ago. Where like I, I went to ask this dude a question about something, and he took it the wrong way, and he kept calling me the N word, and I was just like, "What the fuck is going on here?" And I was like, yeah. "And I'm, you know, I could have kicked this guy's ass like really bad." And I was just like, "You know what?" Because somebody literally just got arrested like around the corner. I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into a fight with this person. I'm gonna, you know, just chill the fuck out. Just let him do his fucking tirade, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into this. I'm not, I'm not gonna engage. Um, but uh, a lot of people aren't are like that. Like they're they're on it. You never know when somebody's at a nine. Luckily on that day, I was at a you know a four. <laughs> you know, yeah. as far as like, I, I went to Comic Con. I was happy. You know, and this guy called me the N word. I'm just like, okay. 
you know, whatever, man. But you might find the wrong also, one. Also, they probably weren't selling Twisted Tea. That video is probably one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah. That is the best shit ever, dude. Like, he absolutely deserved that. And what was yeah. kind of cool afterwards, he was like, yeah, shit, I deserve it. He, like, just basically <laughs> walked away from that. Like, not even going to argue with you. Well, that was you the totally... other factor, is that I was drinking. And I was just like, I know that I've been drinking. Don't get too mad. Cause... Don't get too crazy about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Those, I don't know. As soon as you started describing it, you were saying that, and then I was like, I could see it going that way because it's that's just you know so frustrating. Yeah. But you handled it right. Like a lot of people say, the best, the best fights are the ones you walk away from. Yeah, right? I think so that's. Like, it's one of the things like year. when you actually are a trained fighter, you usually yeah. want to avoid fights. But yeah. at the same time, if the guy would have like tried to pump fake me, like what, like he was gonna but, punch me, then oh, then yeah. it been over. You know what yeah. I mean? Because I'm, I'm definitely not going to let you hit me. No. <laughs> so, like, did you, there was a video. You know who Joe Schilling is? Uh, no. He's a famous uh, kickboxer. And he was okay. he was walking in, he was walking out of the bathroom from a bar. And he walked past somebody. And he was like, excuse me. Like, got him out of the way. Because the guy was, like, doing some crazy shit. And he got him out of the way. And the guy stopped him. And he started talking shit to Joe Schilling. He was like, what the fuck? Fuck you, blah, blah. And he went like that. And Joe Schilling knocked him the fuck out immediately. It was, yeah. wasn't even fucking a millisecond. He just threw two punches, and guy was done, and he just walked away. And it's just like, that's that's what you need to be concerned about, like, when you when you step to somebody. You don't know if yeah. they're at a fucking nine. <laughs> well, and not just even being at a nine. That's If you're trained like that, and you're trained the way you train and the way he trains, as soon as you see that movement, your brain protects you. Like, your brain knows what to do next. It anticipates the rest of the actual strike, seeing... Yeah. Body movement, head movement, eyes. Like he's like, this dude's gonna hit me immediately. He probably actually blocked first. Just, I don't, no, he, he, the guy literally his shoulder came, and Joe Schilling was so much faster than the guy. Like he didn't have a yeah. chance to. He, it, you have to like watch it a couple times to see like what he did. Because when you watch it the first time, he's like, why the fuck did he hit them? Why would he, why did he hit him? And then I watched again. I was like, oh, because he went like that, and like why would he went like that? Like Joe's hand was already coming up, right towards yeah. his jaw. It's like that's it. It's a wrap. <laughs> And maybe, yeah, maybe he was able to know he was fast enough to respond without. He's like, you're going so slow. Probably he's drunk, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, people know how to respond very quickly in those kinds of cases to defend themselves. So, yeah. All right. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that's, I appreciate it. Thanks for talking. <laughs> you said what? I said, that's the weather. That's the weather. <laughs> <laughs> we should have totally done this whole thing with a green screen and, like, had weather pattern information oh. passing behind us or something. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get the chroma key up. Yeah. <laughs> I have a mostly black background. I, I could do a, a green backdrop one of these days. Yeah. Man. All, All right. right. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah. Thank you too. Later. Bye. We got one at the end there. I got a new, a new webcam. It's a Brio. It's a 4K one. Yeah. That's uh, that's what this one is. The Logitech Brio. Nice. Even though I don't normally, this doesn't even support 5, 4K, so I don't even know why the fuck I even got it. Or yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we record, just record in the studio using OBS and want to switch between this one and then like an overhead, it's nice to have the front kind of close to each other. While so, and there, I'm actually having a problem with this mic with the fucking buzz in the background. So I have like this thing here, but still, yeah. still hear a like light buzz. I don't know. Maybe it's because I come from like a different era of production stuff and like. You don't put your microphones in shot. And I, I've watched her like kind of grow up playing the drums. I think right now she's probably around 12. When I first watched her, she was like maybe eight. 
Yeah. And she's like really good. And she would like, um, like Dave Grohl noticed her talent and like sent her equipment. And so did like a bunch of other musicians, like sent her equipment and like played with her and stuff. And it's been like, she's, it's really amazing to like watch like a little girl like play the drums so badassly. You know? But yeah, I just, I didn't really care. So, but I think it was the lack of options. <laughs> so now there's options. Like I, I, I understand more now. It's like one of those things we talked about too, where it was only that way because you didn't notice. Yeah. It wasn't a thing you were thinking about, so you didn't really notice. It was something you should have maybe noticed and been thinking about. Yeah. I've got many of those, you know. So. Yeah, you know, as, as we age, you know, we, we start noticing yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs>